Thank you so much, uh, Will. So good to be with you. Uh, welcome. Good to see you. If we've not met, as Will says, I'm Tim, uh, and I'm the vicar here. And I'm going to be bringing our reading from, um, well, not from there, <laughs> bookmark the wrong place, from the letter of James. I'm looking it up just as you are. Um, I'd work from the back. If you go Revelation and then sort of work backwards, you'll come across James soon enough. If you hit the letter to Hebrews, you've gone too far from the back. Uh, and I'm going to be reading chapter 1. And uh, verse, I'm going to go from verse 18. Ignore the, the heading that the editors put in. Um, they, they're trying to help. They're not always helpful. I think that heading there is, it's, like it's not wrong, but it's just a bit unhelpful because um, it breaks up the flow of the text. So James 1 verse 18 through to, um, I'm just going to read down to verse 25 actually because the 26 and 27 can get picked up by another of our talks later on. We've got some fantastic speakers lined up. Um, for the rest of this series, this term. What's happening here? Oh, you want to move this? <laughs> I love it. My, my associate stagehand. Can you see him there? I don't know if you're in camera shot. I don't think you got away with that, Will. <laughs> Whoops, named him. Sorry. Okay, come on, back in. Uh, James 1, verse 18. This is God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil so, that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they've heard but, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Short word of prayer. Father, simply that by your spirit you would take these words written by James to scattered Christians under fire, under persecution, suffering, test and trial. And as they fed them back then, back there, feed us here now. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Here we are in this it's kind of punchy letter of James to these Christians. They are suffering in all sorts of ways and he's wanting to encourage them. Unlike many of the letters in the New Testament which kind of have a sort of theoretical, sort of theological framework, um, this uh, kind of dispenses a lot with that. He just gets straight into it um, with punchy practical advice and exhortation for Christian living, for making the Christian life work. And here he is, verse 18, talking about God who's given us uh, birth through the word of truth so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of truth, by which he means it's kind of idiom for the scriptures, holy writings passed down the ages, 
God speaking through the agency of human beings by his spirit to our spirit to equip us to live. And he's birthed us into this and then longs for us to live lives that are so fruitful that others around would want to taste and see how good this God is. So how do we live this kind of life? How do we, having been born through the word of God and through what it reveals to us of Jesus Christ, how do we live a life that is that compelling? Verse 21, at the end there. Accept the word planted in you, which can save you, can aid you in this life of salvation, of working out what it is to be in relationship with God and good relationship with other people, with his creation community that he's placed us in. Accept the word of God planted in you. That word planted carries a a sort of real depth of meaning in the the original. Um, It's... um, and carries this idea of it sort of being with you all along. It's like it's part of your DNA. Some commentators argue that uh, we, to be true to the translation, we should maybe say, accept the word of God planted in you from birth. Others argue that's maybe a little bit misleading because um, some people, maybe many of us watching today, haven't, and, and many of James's audience didn't necessarily come from um, believing families. Maybe there were Gentiles grafted in in, in James's day. They were uh, not from a Christian home. And so the scriptures have not been that familiar. But nevertheless, they can still be planted in. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He would have sat at Jesus' feet listening to all the stories he told. You know, one of the most well-known of his stories about a sower with seed. The seed being God's word, God's life. And the sower scatters it all over someone on the hard path and the birds nick it, and uh, others amongst weeds and thorns, and they they kind of choke it. Others on rocky ground, it doesn't really take root. But the seed sown in fertile soil takes root, draws on the moisture, stems, stalks grow, and a crop a hundred times what is sown. I'm sure James has that in mind as he's talking here about the word of God being planted in the good soil of your life so that it takes root and grows. Accept it. James says, accept the word of God planted in you which can save you. Okay, but but how? How do I go about accepting it? And there's a key word here in verse 21, just before that, that phrase, accept the word of God planted in you, we accept it humbly. Humbly accept the word of God planted in you in our sophisticated uh, knowledgeable autonomous individualized 21st century selves we, we love to take an archaic book an ancient book like the bible written so long ago in those eras when they didn't really know nearly as much as we know now and so we like to sort of put ourselves above scripture and we read scripture And we say, yes, yes, I like that. I can accept that. Ooh, or I don't think I like that. Or I disagree with that. Or I don't understand that. I'll tell you what, we kind of begin to treat the Bible like a box of chocolates. I'll like that bit and that bit and that one. I love those, but I'll leave the kind of nutty ones to Granny and she can finish them off. Humbly accept the word of God. Does that sound humble? Or does that sound rather proud and arrogant? 
We're called to wrestle with the whole of Scripture humbly, to put ourselves under God's word. Where there are bits that we don't understand, okay, so we chew over them. Where there are bits we disagree with, it's okay to come across the Bible and go, oh, I disagree with that. It shows that you're engaged, you're thinking. You're wanting to, to, to kind of press in for the, for the word to be planted in you. So we work at it. Get one or two commentaries, Google one or two things. Talk to uh, those who've been trained up before. We've got Louis training as Ordinand, or Cara is our curate, or Will and myself. Others are, are doing Bible courses, Bible college. Your life group leaders. There'll be others that you know. Talk to them, ask them, wrestle, talk to God. What, what do you mean when you write this? How do you expect me to live this way? That's what it is for a seed to, to kind of engage with the soil, to, to, to tap down the roots, to shoot, push up the shoots and to grow. Humbly accept the word of God so that I might possibly seek to align and realign my life with the plumb line of truth and beauty and freedom that is revealed in the whole of scripture. What James goes on to describe as the perfect law. There are two kind of sciences that take place. We all do it. You're just not aware of these fancy words I'm about to use as you're doing it. But we do this when we come to the Bible and seek to understand it. Exegesis and hermeneutics. Don't worry about the fancy words. But exegesis basically means it's the study of what did the text mean to them there then? What did it mean at the time? What would they, the original readers, have understood as meaning? And so we sort of understand what particular words are and their nuance and so on within that particular context. Hermeneutics is taking our understanding of what it meant to them there then and asking ourselves, what does it mean to us here now, given that we span several centuries from when the Bible writers were putting down their texts? God still speaks by his word through his spirit. This is still his perfect law. But, but to our 21st century Western ears, some of the things we read can sound distant, strange, anomalous. But we, we work at it. We wrestle with it because, and here's the key thing, every generation and every culture needs to do its own hermeneutics, both on the, on the, the, the culture of, the Bible, the first century culture, but also on itself. I wonder what cultures several generations on from us would make of Western society's greed in the 21st century. As I, as I go into my wardrobe and I look at just how many clothes I've got, I mean, I probably end up wearing them all, but do I need that many shirts, trousers, jackets? Particularly when I think of brothers and sisters around the world who only have got what they're wearing right now. Or what about our care of creation? I wonder what in a few millennia time they'll look back on our generation and ask, what on earth were you thinking? with this glorious creation that God has made. You're only part of human beings. You're only part of the whole of the cosmos that God has created and called us to steward. What about our economic models by which we are purporting to ensure that everyone thrives, the so-called leveling up? How's that working out? 
What will generations time, when they do the hermeneutics on us here now, every culture has got to work at its understanding. Are, are we so privileged that we can look at the Bible culture and the word of God and go, yeah, I, I like that bit, but not that bit. Here's the question. What was Jesus' attitude to the scriptures that were available to him in his day? Did he accept every single one of them? He quoted from every single genre, not every single book, but every single genre that was available to him at the time. He was well versed with them. When the devil tempts him in the wilderness, every, and we're coming up to the start of Lent, we remember how uh, after his 40 days he was severely tested himself by the devil. And every time he counters the devil with scripture that he's learnt by rote. Jesus took the whole of scripture that was available to him then seriously. And if Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, took the whole of Scripture seriously, viewed it as the perfect law, then shouldn't we? We're looking at this letter of James as a faith that deepens. How does my faith deepen? As I sit under the Word of God and humbly accept what it says to me. Not that I can't wrestle with it, not that I don't find it difficult, not that it doesn't sometimes jar with my personal experience, but that's part of the test and trial. And as we persevere in that, we're made complete. So as we humbly accept the word planted in us, what do we do to enable it to shape grow and mature us? What is our role? How do we engage with this perfect law as James describes it? I want to suggest three ways. Our mind, our heart, our soul and our will. And these I think come out in this little text that uh, James has for us. First of all our mind, verse 25 He's contrasting those who don't take the word seriously. We'll come on to that in a moment. But verse 25, but those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You want to be blessed as you look into God's word? Then James exhorts us to look intently. Verse 25. It's the same word, interestingly, that is used in John chapter 20 to describe how that first disciple who raced to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday saw the stone rolled away and looked in. The English translation says he peered. Okay, it's actually the same word as here. He looked intently. What was that disciple doing on that first morning as he, as he went to the tomb, kind of expecting that there'd be a body there? And seeing the stone rolled away, thought, Whoa, what? And then goes inside and sees the grave clothes. That, that's the only valuable thing there. Dead bodies were worthless, they just decay. But the, all the jewels and the spices that they were wrapped in, that was the thing that was worth nicking. And yet they were still there. It wasn't grave robbers. The Romans, he, kind of, he peers in and he looks intently. What is he doing? He's thinking. He's going... There's no body here. And dead people don't usually rise from the dead. 
but then he's beginning to think about some of the prophecies and some of the things that Jesus has said that hadn't made sense back then. But now, as he looks into this empty grave and he thinks, oh, he's thinking, he's thinking. He's looking intently and thinking. He's using his mind. James is saying, when we engage with scripture, even with the things that we, we, we can't make sense of, that startle us, look intently. Use your mind. Think it through. Work it through. That's how transformation takes place in our lives and that's how we convey transformation to others as we look intently to the things of God as they manifest themselves here on earth that disciple went back and told the others they said, we, we believe Thomas well, no, this, <laughs> this doesn't happen so Jesus appears to Thomas they're convinced, they tell others and the rest as they say is history we are here today worshipping with millions around the world Because one man went to that grave, looked in intently. How does scripture, how how does the Bible transform and shape us that we might be the first fruits of righteousness? How does our faith deepen amid tests and trials? It's as we accept the word of God with humility and look intently into it. Think about it. Work it through. Learn pieces of scripture, a verse or two, to encourage, to inspire, to challenge you. You Just recall it just like that in times of need. We look intently. Secondly, we can engage with scripture through our heart, our soul. And here's this uh, image that that, uh, James uses in um, verse 23, let's go from 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, work it through. He says, those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. I imagine most of us have got a mirror somewhere, probably two or three, and if not, you make use of a shop window or something like that. Every now and then we'll glance in a mirror just to kind of check. You see, a mirror gives us an accurate depiction of who we actually are. It kind of won't lie. Unless you're in one of those mirrors in clubs where they sort of tint it to make you look more healthy than you probably are right at the time. But, but usually, you look at a mirror and it will tell you exactly who you are. In, in, in a physical sense. I, mirrors are just vital for me um, in the days when I had hair. I, I, I realised I've had a, a, an experience recently, relatively traumatic, at the hands of my son. Uh, he had some clippers, and uh, I thought we were still in the middle of a negotiation as to what my hair might look like at the end. But no, he'd already clipped on, I think it was eight or seven, and boom, he'd literally done one stripe down the side. I had an inverted mohawk while we were still in mid-conversation. I, right, okay. He, he, he just, sorry, Dad, it's a bit late now. So he carried on. He, uh, if I may say a thing, as I look in the mirror, he's not done such a bad job. Unlike Connor, by the way, our, our worship leader is on the keys tonight. Because uh, um, I know that the clippers that Luke used came from um, a gentleman's hairdressing set. I saw the case. But apparently Connor's mum, who's going to be speaking later on in this series, Connor's mum did Connor's hair really well. But they were a little bit alarmed when they put the clippers back in the case and they saw the, sort of, uh, the, the maker's instructions that said, when grooming your pet, <coughs> but you look great, Connor, and he's just off camera there. Good boy, sit, sit. 
I, when I had hair, you know, I wake up in the morning and it would be kind of all over the place, kind of, you know, um, pillow head, hair head, sleepy head. And I think, well, I can't go out like this. I've maybe got a you know, visit to a, a, a couple who uh, are bereaved or uh, there's someone who's wanting to explore the possibility of baptism. And, and so I, you know, I've I got to kind of pay attention a little bit to my, to my appearance. What use would it be if I look and say, oh, my hair looks like Mr. Whippy. Never mind, if I just forget it, on I go. no. I look into the mirror, the mirror informs me, and I need to act on what I see. I need to, to, to initiate change. How does God's word speak to us? It's as we look into it tently and allow it to look at us. And as we tune into what the Spirit of God is saying through his word to us and our context and our situations, so we come under its wonderful authority to, to challenge us and to change us. Hey, there are other times when you look in a mirror and you go, you know, you put a new outfit or something in a new top and you put it on, you go, yeah, that looks great. Yeah, that looks good. It, it's kind of to affirm the goodness in us. Scripture is there to affirm who we are in Christ and to encourage us to stand on that authority, that, in that identity, and to live our lives as salt, as light. Again, as the mirror, God's word tells us that. It, it corrects us when we're going off beam, but it assures us and affirms us in who we are in Christ. So as we step out for him, as we speak for him, as we live for him, the word of God assures us, strengthens us, releases us, enables us. Head, heart, thirdly, will. Do you see here in, um, in verse 25, by contrast to the mirror people, but those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, perseverance. That's an act of the will. That's an act of the will, like many disciplines, things, things that shape life in us. We won't always feel like doing them. I don't always feel like reading the Bible. There are often times when I think, oh, and, and it feels more like a chore than a duty. I'll be honest here, this is a bit of a confession, but there's, um, there are many sort of apps and programs and, and uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, what are they called? thingies uh, to help you to read scripture um, programs and routines one of them really well known is the bible in one year and, and it's brilliant the, the idea is it, what it does it chunks up a bit of the old testament a little bit of the new testament throws in a psalm and uh, there's a portion for each day so that after over 365 days you can have read through the whole bible now i'm a sucker for that kind of marketing i think yeah brilliant i'd love to read the whole bible i'll do it in a year brilliant how many times have I talked? I think I've had about five or six attempts over the time. And I think my record was October the 26th. I think I got as far as October the 26th. My, my worst was, I think, January the 15th. See, what happens is that I, I, I go, I start really well. I start, I'm going to read the Old Testament, the New Testament. Sometimes I get ahead. I've sort of got a bit of time. I'm going to read Tuesday and Wednesday. Huh, check me out. 
but, but sooner or later, I'm busy, wait, late, whatever, I, I, I miss a day, I miss a day or two, and now I've got to catch up. And, and maybe I'm two or three days behind, or, or maybe I'm a week behind. I think, oh, well, okay, I'll wait until I'm just a month behind, and then I'll just stay a month behind. But it does something in, in my spirit and in my heart. It, it, it makes it a sort of thing I've got to do, rather than rather than something that I enjoy intently thinking about and gazing at me. It's not life-giving, it's kind of life-draining. It becomes about me getting through the Bible rather than the Bible working its way through me. Can I just, I, if, I don't know if, you, if you've got a sort of person, personality type a bit like mine, can I just, hey, particularly in pandemic with all these other voices swirling around our heads, chill. You, you know what? You can feed massively on one verse. Even just that idea maybe of looking intently and realizing it's the same as when the disciple looked into the grave. Just chew on that tomorrow. What that disciple would have done at that grave on Easter Sunday and, and therefore what God is calling us to do when we engage with Scripture that's a good little nugget you can feed on. That's scripture shaping you. And so we determine to, if we can't read as we ought, then we ought to read as we can. Uh, uh, just a little piece, even if it's just a psalm, just one of the stories of Jesus, maybe just a paragraph in one of the letters or a, a little chunk from the Old Testament prophets, a proverb or two. But determine to do it. Continue in it. Don't forget what you've read, but, but think intently how you'd put that into practice. And we'll find, as James says here, we've been birthed by the word of truth. We will grow into righteousness. The perfect law, James says, verse 25, that gives freedom. I just want to last little bit. Just on that, that kind of, Paradox, irony, is it? That, that James describes here the Bible, God's word, as the perfect law that brings freedom. How can a law bring freedom? Tim, what are you encouraging me here to, to sign up to? If you're asking me to, to kind of sit under the authority of scripture, to let God speak to me by his word, if it's law, how am I gonna be free? That thinking, I think, emanates from, it probably began, some, some sort of historians would argue that it began with um, uh, René Descartes, who was a philosopher, French, I think he was a French philosopher, and uh, uh, 17, early 17th century. And he decided to determine to, um, he was kind of thinking about stuff, you know, like, how do I know what is real? And how do I know, um, how do I know? That was his question. How do I know that I know? And so what he did was he, he locked himself away in his bunker over a winter and he determined, I'm not going to come out until I can be sure of something. I just want to be sure of something. And on that something that's sure, I'll build a sort of worldview. And as he was in his bunker, he thought, well, he, he decided to doubt everything. And what he realized was that in doubting everything, is, is, is that tree real? Is, is God real? Is this food I'm eating real? Is anything, what, what can I be certain of? And he realized that the common denominator in all this was that he could, he could think about this. He, he could think about whether the tree was real or the food was real or whether God existed. And so he came out thinking, I think 
therefore I am. It's just the ability to think that enables me to, to kind of begin to assume or to, to work out what it is to be human. And so a whole train of philosophical thought, Cartesian thought after Descartes, uh, unraveled, and, and various others in what was known as the Enlightenment period. Enlightenment because human reason came to the fore in, in public discourse. And suddenly we were sort of oh, all these things that we've kind of attributed to God, not so sure. I think us humans have kind of, we've got this down now. Or I think we've worked out how life works. And, and woven into this was this idea that freedom, this is a negative construction or, or definition of freedom. Freedom is the complete absence of any restriction. Freedom is the absence of restriction. And, and it, that, that, I mean, at a sort of subconscious level, has really pervaded much human thought and philosophy ever since, although it's a relatively new in the, in the history of time. It's a relatively new idea. But it pervades our thinking now. It's behind that question. Hang on. Perfect law gives freedom, and, and we see that as a contradiction or an irony. But, like I said, that's a relatively new thought that, if I'm honest, probably limited to, again, the sort of Western world. Other cultures around the world don't think like that. And the Bible culture doesn't think like that. The Bible culture and the Bible message says freedom is when you are in that particular position, maybe involving some form of restraint or restriction, but that enables you to be truly who you are created to be. Put it the other way around. In order to be truly who you are created to be, will maybe involve restraint or restriction. Let me let me illustrate it like this. Take a fish. A fish, you could argue, in Enlightenment thinking, a fish is free to be wherever it wants to be. No restriction. That's real freedom for the fish. Wherever it wants to be. Any kind of river or sea or water. And dry land because there's no restriction a fish can be in the water or on dry land but you see in that simplistic illustration the fish on dry land for too long dies <laughs> it's no longer a fish it's a corpse it's just food you see in order for the fish to be truly free it is restricted to water where it is free to be fully fish those of you we, we we exercise freedom with restraint all the time if we stop and think about it. True freedom. Those of you who own a motor car, you drive around and think, brilliant, I just want the freedom of the road. I want to just drive my car without any restriction. Well, no, actually, you impose restrictions on your car ownership in all sorts of ways. You're on a lovely journey and you keep your eye on the dial because it's just turned red and if you don't pull into a station soon and fill up with petrol then your car's going to conk out. You're going to have to restrict the freedom of your movement on the highway to stop for a moment in order to fill up. You're going to have to restrict the free spending of your current account to pay for car tax and, and that petrol and maintenance and MOT. There are restrictions on the freedom of having a car. There are restrictions in order that we might know life this is the perfect law that doesn't restrict us. It shapes us in order that we might be truly free to live. 
I know I often quote this of C.S. Lewis, but it, again, it, it, I think it's opposite here. C.S. Lewis summarizing Christian living as not doing as we please. In other words, a life free of, you know, complete licentious life, com- free of any restriction. Living as we please. That's not, Christian living is not living as we please, but living as we ought, with restraint and constriction. And discovering that in living as we ought, it pleases us. So, so how can I realize that kind of life? Sitting under God's word, humbly accepting it with my mind and my heart and my will. What will it look like for me to, to be constrained by the perfect law in order that I might be truly free? Well, let's consider, let's consider the law for a moment. There are basically two ways in which you can completely fulfill the law. You either live a perfect life, in which case you've never broken the law, so it can, it can make no demand on you, or when you break the law, then you pay the penalty in order to be free from its constraints on you. If I speed and I'm caught by a camera, I pay the fine or I go to the... Uh, the, the, the class or whatever it is, I, I, I pay the penalty in order to be free to drive again. So you either live a perfect life or you pay the penalty that the law exacts in order to come out from under the law into freedom again. Jesus, the only human being in the whole of human history who has lived our life to the full perfectly lawlessly he has fulfilled every element of the law so it has no demand on him he lived a perfect life and fulfilled it the law but or and he died our death he died on the cross the penalty of our wrongdoing he took perfect though he was he paid the penalty for breaking the law, so he fulfilled it again. Jesus has fulfilled the law twice. So as we look to Jesus, as we look intently at Jesus, as we allow Jesus to be the mirror who looks at us, who loves us, who cherishes us, who affirms us and longs, that we would rid ourselves of sin-stained patterns in order that we'd bear the fruit of his life in our lives. As we look at Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the law, we walk into what it is to know the freedom that comes from living under perfect law. This perfect law frees us. And as we look to Jesus, He leads us through it. We see Jesus emerging out of the pages of Scripture where we don't immediately see him. We we look, we wrestle, we we pair away, we work hard, we look intently until we see Jesus through the Old Testament in the New Testament, the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. And as we look to him, he empowers us and enables us to deepen our faith, to sit under his word, and to live fruitful lives that give him glory.
I want to pause for a moment. Just going to invite Connor and the team to come up as we lead back into worship and allow for uh, for response. Essentially, I'm inviting you to kind of just just subtly shift mode now. You've been kind of receiving a bit like sort of eating and, and now it's knife and fork down and to, to chew and to swallow and digest. of these guys uh, prepare and uh, lead into worship and as we focus again on Jesus and in here Jesus calling us to see him in his word it, it's maybe just a and it's an encouragement and, and maybe a challenge too for us determine, to determine to take up reading scripture again maybe we've read books about it little commentaries about it we've done lots of secondary reading or we've snacked just a bit too much we've gone a bit too long without genuine food we've not looked intently gazed at scripture and allowed Jesus through scripture to gaze at us we've given up not persevered we've not been diligent enough in doing what we've heard and read putting it into practice making the change Jesus says come to me whoever you are wherever you are but don't stay as you are as you encounter me through my word that you'd know transformed living and a transformed life the first fruits of righteousness James says Father, as we worship you by, through Jesus, by your spirit now, we pray just in our homes, our kitchens and dining rooms and bedrooms and wherever we are right now, spirit, you would inculcate and grow a fresh delight and desire for your word. That it would be a light to our paths and a lamp to our feet. That it would be like honey to taste that we'd know it's goodness, your goodness, sustaining us, growing us, transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen.